0: Hello Gretna and welcome to another online Sunday service and it is graduation Sunday so congratulations to Eli and all the other uh, graduates out there in the county if you know a graduate wish them congratulations and graduates just remember that God is always with you each step of the way and just remember to keep him in your life because he heals and he's very powerful. for tithes and offerings if you're doing your tithing electronically you know where to click and how to do that Um, but if you'll pray with me father god thank you for this place that we can worship thank you for this group of believers that comes together every sunday to worship you take these tithes and offerings use them to move your work forward and thank you amen
1: Oh, my God.
2: hello. Good morning, Gret I. hope everybody is doing well. It is so wonderful, even if we're just online together, to know that we are remembering together how great our God is, right? How great thou art. Um, I wanted to start, before I begin my sermon today, I wanted to do my mom and dad a, a, a solid here. I wanted to warn them. Um, when I was in my early 30s, uh, I started one day to tell my mom some of the things that I had done as a teenager or a college student that she never knew I did, um, and, and she uh, made it abundantly clear that I uh, shouldn't repeat those things. What's gone is gone. Nobody died, and she was better off not knowing what I might have done and gotten away with And the the reason I'm mentioning that is that I'm about to tell a story. So if my mom and dad are watching, I'd turn down the volume for a couple of minutes and then turn it back up, and then you should be good to go. But when I was in in college the first time, because I I have uh, two degrees, but my first one was right out of high school, and I have a degree from Ohio State in health information management, which I put to absolutely no use at all. But... When I was in college, it was not school was not my priority. I would imagine a lot of students right now, as they're uh, unable to go to classes even, are having difficulty staying focused on what they need to get done. In fact, I was, we were just talking about that, weren't we, Dave? Um, I had some of the same problems. And one of the things that I used to do on a very regular basis was go down to school as though I was going to classes, and then somewhere, somewhere between my car and the classroom, I would invariably end up stopping by OSU's athletic facility. It's called Larkins Hall. And before you knew it, five minutes of, I'm going to go see what's going on in there, turned into, oh, I don't know, three or four hours of playing basketball and hanging out and doing everything but going to class. And one of the things I was blessed to do, and, and mom and dad don't turn the volume back up yet, um, one of the things I was blessed to be able to do uh, was to play a whole lot of basketball with a whole lot of different people. I know that, that it's going to come as a surprise to you given my height issues, that I—it it is my favorite sport and I loved to play it as a young guy. I can't now, my knees are shot, but um, I really loved it and played it all the time and so one of the upsides of, of playing there was once in a blue moon you would run across uh, Ohio State players playing basketball in a gym playing a pickup game with friends or 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 getting some extra practice time in without the coaches and kind of challenging each other and it was really kind of neat to watch and there were occasions where they would actually because I would assume desperate would let me play which was super cool most of the time, I would, I would end up guarding um, somebody else who was also not on scholarship to play basketball because my skill level was commensurate, was not commensurate with someone at that level. But there was this one time I can remember where I was asked to guard a guard for Ohio State. His name was Mark Baker. And, and if, you, if you grew up around Ohio State in the late 80s, early 90s, um, he was the starting point guard for the Buckeyes. And... Um, when they asked me to guard him, I'm going to tell you there were two different responses. There was my internal response, which is, you have got to be kidding me. I am not made for this. There ain't no way I can do it. And then there was my external response, which was, I got it. I can handle him. I can cover it. Don't you worry. And I just said, all right, bring what you got. I know you're going to find this as a, a total surprise. Hard to believe <laughs> I couldn't handle it. He he went around me left. He went around me right. He went over me. I mean, he just really just did whatever he felt like doing. To his credit, uh, he was wonderful about saying, coaching me and saying, "Hey, you need to work on your on your footwork. You need to watch my waist and not the ball. You need to." And he was trying really hard along the way. He didn't he didn't make fun of me, uh, but it was really clear that even though I had said I got it, I had. No business trying to cover him. No business trying to handle what was coming my way. Which brings us to our topic for the week. We are just finishing up a series called The Bible Doesn't Say That. And the goal of the series is to kind of go through some different scriptures and consider what they really might mean versus how we might interpret them. And we do that. So that we can have a greater understanding, and maybe even greater, maybe even correct some mistakes that we have that we've made in, in interpreting the Bible. So there's a phrase that is not scripture that I I hear I've heard pronounced and I've announced it to, in a well-meaning way at, at, at funerals and in difficult situations, um, and that phrase is this: God will not give us any more than we can handle. God doesn't give us any more than we can handle. I think we get that from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It reads this. It says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, right? So it's difficult. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. That's where I think we get it from. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. The context of that verse is, is the, the people of Corinth as he's speaking to them and the sins and the difficulties that are creeping into their lives, many of which are um, really the, as a result of their own decisions that they're making. They're self-inflicted. But the, the, the context there is this, is that the sin is, is creeping into your life and the Lord will always open a door and give you another path that you might choose to step away from that temptation, to step away from whatever it is that's calling you away from God. So if we just read that one part of the the verse that says, and God is faithful, he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand, we would certainly could pretty easily get to God doesn't ever give you more than you can handle. But if you finish it, we see that the context here, the message really is that God is there in the midst of challenge not that he necessarily will keep you from it. If Further, if we look a little more into the scriptures, there are a lot of stories of members of God's family, his people, that clearly have to take on a lot of things that no one should have to handle. Last week we discussed Job and his life, and all of the things he lost in a matter of five minutes, and screaming at God and saying, why is this happening to me? And his friends well-meaning, not really helping him understand why things were happening to him. But Job's not the only one. In First Kings 19, we see the prophet Elijah hiding, hiding, collapsed under a bush because he is worn out, he is tired from being chased and running for his life, running away from Ahab and Jezebel and the people that were no longer following the Lord, they were following a a different God, And, and he was running for his life, spent most of his life running and hiding, and we find him in 1 Kings 19 collapsed under a bush without strength, unable to get up, and it's only because an angel comes to him and says, arise and eat, for the journey is too great, For you. And then we see psalm after psalm of of the writers, including especially David, lamenting the fact that their world is collapsing around them, that this is more than they could possibly take. Psalm 38 4 is a great example. It says, For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. And in one of the, the most well known and greatest stories of the Bible, we see David. David facing Goliath, facing this giant that he can't possibly or should not possibly be able to stop, and when he does, when he throws a rock and from a sling and hits the giant and he falls over and and dies he says he says this in first samuel seventeen forty seven he says "The battle is the Lord, so even David recognized that this giant, this big thing in their life that was that was a threat to all of God's people he couldn't handle alone. But I'm conflicted, as, especially as someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ, because the, the text also encourages us to persevere. It says in Galatians 6.9, nine says, Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. And James 1.12 says, blessed is the one who endures trials because he has stood the test. He will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. It seems that if we endure, there is this notion we could pretty easily take that if we endure, that we will get through and that God will not at the end of the day have given us something that we could not handle. So the hope today is to answer this question, will God, will he or won't he give us more than we can handle? And the answer to that really depends on how we interpret two words in that phrase, the word we and the word handle. John Piper says it this way, he says that we have an an independent we. This independent we, this perception of the way we interpret that word is God assesses our innate capacity to handle things on our own and limits our exposure to things that fit within that sphere. It's based on what we've learned, what we have been able to accomplish or overcome before, and how we are growing as individuals and as people. And, he's, and the idea there is that he would limit what we have to deal with based on our experience level are based on our innate capacity to survive it, to handle it. We do it with, kids do it, parents do it with their kids all the time, right? We put training wheels on a bicycle when they first get on the bicycle because they have no business uh, trying to ride a two-wheeler without some kind of safety net, right? We don't allow them to be exposed to something that they, they couldn't handle that would result in them getting injured. And it's only after they've demonstrated an ability to, to, to balance on their own that we begin to, to to first raise, right? Raise the wheels and then eventually get rid of the training wheels. As they demonstrate an ability to ride a bike effectively, that is when we allow them to do that because to do so earlier would simply be harmful. It's a bit like, back to my basketball discussion, it's a bit like if, if God said, I'm going to limit all of the opponents Rob faces on a basketball court. I'm gonna limit them to those that he can, if he puts in his best, if he perseveres, that he can take, that he can, he can hold his own and he can handle it and he can get it done Now, in some ways, I hope that's the case, because the older I get, the slower I get, and I would love to continue to just play against people that I could still handle regardless, but that's clearly not the case in basketball, and I don't know if it's the case in life. I think it's it's safe to say that many of us have encountered difficulties and life situations, whether it's being raised in an abusive home or it's, or it's losing all that we have or being injured beyond repair or losing suddenly losing a loved one, someone that's so close to us, having our world feel like it's collapsing down upon us. And yet, we still remain fiercely independent sometimes. This idea that we can handle it, I can do this. It's driven, it's driven honestly by pride. We don't want to look weak in front of others. We want others to believe that we've got everything under control, that we can handle it. And so we, we convince ourselves that, yeah, we can. Our culture convinces us that we can and we should. We should be able to handle everything on our own. We should be able to make our own, our own decisions in all things. I do me, you do you, and we all do well, and life is good. It causes us, though, I think, to turtle in our relationship with God. That is to say that, that we cover ourselves and, and keep to ourselves and do not reach out to our Lord and Savior, even as we're facing things that are destroying us. We don't want to seem weak to somebody else. We don't want to let somebody else down. We don't want to admit that we've made a mistake or that we've gone the wrong direction. We're fiercely independent, and we fiercely want to believe that we can do it ourselves, even at the sacrifice of our relationship with God. The problem is that's not necessarily true. In fact, Paul gives us a very different picture of who we are in that phrase, will God give us any more than give us more than we can handle Paul's picture is of a dependent we and that's our that's our scripture today we're going to look at his 2 Corinthians 1 8 through 11 as Paul describes in his own life as he has learned to be a dependent we. It starts here in verse 8. It says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. You know that I just said, we try to avoid telling people what's going on. It's interesting here that Paul's response is that to tell them exactly what has gone on and to make sure they do know that he's going through difficulties. Let's keep reading. It says, we were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that even so that we even despaired of life. That means they wish they were dead. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death, and he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again, and while you joining and helping us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf to the gift that came to us, through the prayers of many. This is a, a contrast to the independent we. It's a, it's a dependent we. It says handling the difficulty that life brings is dependent not upon our capacity, but on the grace of God that comes in the midst of the difficulty or with the difficulty. It's, a, it's amazing how confessional he is how he just stops and says look we uh, we faced this series of of difficulties as he's writing this he's probably in prison again because that was a trend in Paul's life to end up in prison he's facing starvation he's facing pain he's facing uh uh a pain that's an attack from Satan, as if you continue to read in 2 Corinthians, he gets into it where he's being attacked by Satan and God says, look, I'm not going to take that pain away from you. My grace should be enough. It's a very different picture than the independent-minded we, who we hope to be and want to be sometimes when we utter phrases like, God will never give us more than we can handle. Charles Stanley echoes Paul here. He says, God allows us to face difficulties so that our faith will be stretched and refined. The trials we face provide an excellent opportunity for us to declare our dependence on God and not on ourselves. The way we win the battle with discouragement is by humbling ourselves before God and telling him that we need him. There's only one way to do this, and it is through prayer. Pray and wait. I don't know about you, but that's really hard. (laughs) When life is tough, when things are crashing down around me, when I feel like there's no way out, praying and waiting is really hard. If I'm being frank, I don't want to pray and wait most of the time. I want the problem solved, I want to handle it, I want it dealt with, I want it over. But Paul, Paul speaks from experience here. In Acts chapter 16, we see the story of Paul and Silas. They are, they are trapped in jail. And the truth is, there is no other way. There's no way out. They're not going to break themselves out of jail, out of a Roman prison. And so their response is mind-boggling and yet powerful and speaks much of what Paul is trying to say about being a dependent we, being dependent on God in the midst of our difficulties. They begin to sing and pray. Paul and Silas sing and pray. It doesn't say they tried to work their way out of it. It doesn't say they tried to dig a hole and Climb out. It doesn't say they tried to convince the guard to let them go. They sang and they prayed. And the Lord flung their cells open. (laughs) And they could have left and were freed. Mental note, they didn't. They didn't run out of it. They stayed right there and when the guards came the next day, They said, we're still here, but our God could have and did open our doors and set us free. And you know what happened? Because of their willingness to to pray and wait and be there in the midst of the turmoil and not run from it or try to fight their way out of it, they were able to witness to the guards. They were able to demonstrate the power and the peace of their God. And by that witness, the guards and his family were saved. I think. I think that that this conflict that we have between being a dependent we and an independent we, in the midst of our difficulty, is really coming to the forefront as our as we respond to, to COVID. Right, um, I. You should easily count me among you who are antsy and ready for this to be done, ready for life to get back to normal, right? ready for us to stop having to wear masks when we go out, ready for us to stop having to to do this where I'm preaching to a mostly empty room to see each other's faces, to hug one another, to shake each other's hands, to remind each other that we are, in fact, family. Because yes, we can do that over the internet, but yes, I'm with you. It's so much easier to do when we're together. And if I was left to my own devices, the notion of waiting and praying, waiting for God to resolve it in his time and in his way is not my natural bent. I would like it fixed now. I would like it handled now. And it's in those times when I try to be the independent we, saying I can handle this, I can fix this, I can make it work, I can get it done, and why is it not fixed? Why are we not back to normal? That I find myself stressed, that I find myself angry, that I find myself antsy and frustrated and looking for somebody to blame and looking for loopholes or reasons for this to be over, for this prison we're kind of caught in right now to be over and saying, this has to be not real. This can't be true. But then the dependent, me, says, you know, when this is all said and done, and it will be said and done in some way at some time as God ordains it, If he is still in charge and we are still his children, it'll be okay. It may not look okay from the way we're observing it, it may not feel okay in the moment, but our eternity is secure in who our Savior is. And he is. Working out all things for the good of those who follow him, who love him, who are his people. And it is when we embrace that need to depend on who our God is that, in some ways, we are able to see that he doesn't give us more than we can handle. Oftentimes, it's just our inability to let him handle it that's the problem. Which leads us to our next word, this word "handle," we talked about, right? I said the word "we" is a problem, the word "handle" is a wrong, so is, is a problem. So we have kind of two different ideas. Paul calls us to a very different view of handling life's troubles. The independent handle. the outcome is immediate and positive for myself and/ or those I care about, right? Handling it means getting rid of the issue. Handling it means making COVID go away right now so that I can get back to life. It means making my stress level drop, making it go down, making it go away. I'm going to narc on my daughter a little bit. My daughter um, calls us this weekend in a panic because her car broke down which would be all well and good. She lives in Berea, Kentucky right now where she's going to school and would be all would be okay except that my daughter and two of her friends had taken a road trip in a pandemic. Don't get me started. That can make a, a dad you know, twitch. But they had taken a road trip in a pandemic. A couple of hours, not very far, but the car had broken down. And, and my daughter was understandably scared, right? She doesn't know how to fix a car, and her dad is not Dave. I can't fix cars like you can. And so she's stuck in Ashland, Kentucky with a broken car, and then on top of that, her phone breaks while she's there. So she's got a dead phone, and she's got a dead car, and she's panicked. And admittedly, I have totally been in that place where things I feel like are collapsing around me and I'm panicked and I just want it handled. And the way I would handle it is, you fix it now, you get it fixed in three seconds for $5 and we're on our merry way, right? Now, if you know anything about cars, unless you have a handy dandy Dave McPherson in your house, nothing gets fixed for $5 in three seconds it gets moved on its way. And so she had to, and I feel so bad for her, she had to wait. She had to wait for the next morning for a shop to open. Then she had to get it into a shop and had to wait for them to determine how bad it was and what it needed to be fixed. Then she had to wait for them to do the repairs. And then, yes, she had to wait for her dad to pay for it. But she got on the road still without a phone, and now she's waiting again for a new phone to come in the mail because this one was luckily still under warranty. And the thing is, that's not the way any of that would have been handled. If she was writing the script, I'm sure, and if I was writing the script for how I wanted God to handle that situation, a couple of things would occur— In Rachel's mind, I'm sure the car doesn't break down, the phone doesn't break, right, at all. That's a great way to handle it. Or if it does, three seconds and five bucks and we're fixed and moved on. Now, Dad has a different way of handling it. Dad's way of handling it is you shouldn't have been in Ashland. You should have just been at home, sheltering in place. I told my parents about that. And they said, welcome to the, the part of life where you begin to put duct tape over your mouth as a parent and not tell them everything they're doing wrong. Um, I failed at that too, by the way, because I just narked on her. But, but so often, God calls us to a very different way of handling things. He does not handle life the way we handle life. And his definition is not that it is resolved quickly, it has a positive outcome for me, because at the end of the day, I'm pretty selfish. I want my outcome to be positive for me and those that I love. Charles Swindoll says it this way, we must cease striving. I mean, striving to handle it ourselves and trust God to provide what he thinks is best and in whatever time he chooses to make it available. But this kind of trusting doesn't come naturally. It's a spiritual crisis of the will in which we must choose choose to exercise faith. It's dependent upon God that, that he requires us to be dependent upon him handling it. Though we may fail personally, the outcome is God's. And his grace can lead us to recovery Reconciliation in Him. We are physical, temporal, at the end of the day, we are selfish people. And our scope, what we can see, is really limited by that. It's limited by our own present personal experience. And our definition of handling it is often to fix my problem and not necessarily to fix the problem of a fallen world. See God, as I said before, God works in eternities we work in minutes and seconds. We work, in the, we work within the realm of the feelings we're having right now in this moment of, of turmoil and pain and anger and frustration and sadness and depression and all of the things that are dragging us down in the midst of our lives. All this trouble that we face on a regular basis because yes the world is full of trouble and there's a reason why Jesus says don't worry about tomorrow. Today's enough trouble of its own. It is. It is enough trouble of its own. But if If we are really the people of God trusting that he is with us and that he will handle it, it's amazing, amazing, the sense of peace, of strength, and of blessing that we can be in his name on all those we touch. You know this is the last week of this series and, and, and this, this series is something that I planned months ago, not knowing anything about what was coming. And I'm as we've gone through it each week I've said to myself, well, God, you did a good job on that one. You picked the right time and the right place to say what needed to be said from your word to help us understand in the midst of our turmoil that you, sir, you, Lord Almighty, are in charge. That you, Lord Almighty, are handling it. And you are handling it way better than I ever could. And that sometimes my call is to wait on you. As Isaiah says, Those who wait on the Lord will be lifted on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They won't walk and not grow faint. It just may not happen right now. But it will happen for all of eternity. If you um, are having difficulty, you can come on back up. If you're having difficulty handling it, Handling the trouble that's in your life right now, if you're having difficulty dealing with the stress that's coming from, from just not being able to get out and about and to be with people because we are relational, right? If you are having financial issues or you are having spiritual issues or you're being attacked because that really does happen or you're depressed or angry or suffering in some way, shape, or form, I would encourage you to pray deeply and often to the Lord. I would also encourage you to reach out to each other. Or, and and if, you're, if you're in another state and you're not a member of, of Gretna Brethren Church, there are people on the chat room right now that are there to talk to you, that they will pull you out into a different space and they will, they will speak to you one-on-one and pray with you one-on-one and encourage you one-on-one and remind us all that regardless of what we see right now, what we're experiencing right now, then when we are in the Lord's will and we are trusting in Him, He will handle it. We have a closing song,
1: right?
0: Awesome. <laughs>
2: Close us in prayer. Father God, we are so thankful for your greatness. And the fact that you allow a little bit of that to be our shelter and our strength. That you would send your son in your infinite wisdom knowing not only the difficulties the world had experienced at the time, but everything that would happen even after his death because of that, you resurrected him. You gave him eternal life, or gave us eternal life with him. And, and through that act, he has conquered death, the thing we have to fear the most. Lord, I pray that in this time, especially when we are finding it difficult to cope, that we would lean into you and lean into one another, that we would allow your spirit to heal us, that we would be a people who are dependent upon you and that trust that you will handle it. Lord God, I pray a special blessing upon those of us who are physically ill right now, those of us who are battling cancer, those of us who are battling heart problems and those of us who are are just worn out and tired from all the anxiety and all the stress. I pray that you will lift up their souls, that you will cradle them in your arms and remind them of who you are and what they mean to you. I pray that you will keep us safe as we move forward and give us an opportunity to meet again. It is in Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and may his countenance be toward you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. God bless, see you later. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.